listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thank you for joining me on the show. In this episode, we've got a special guest and a pretty unique topic. We've got Professor Dr. Howard Dover on our show today with us. He's the author of The Sales Innovation Paradox, and that's exactly the title that we have for our show. This is something that's going to be surprising to you. It's going to give you value on a strategic level in terms of how do you navigate new trends within the area of business development and sales. I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Howard today. Make sure you connect with him. I put all of his information on the show notes, including the link to get his book, which I highly recommend. Here's my conversation with Howard. Thanks for listening. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, legal intelligence suite of products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now here's my conversation with Howard Dover. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got Dr. Howard Dover on our show with us. And our topic today is the sales innovation paradox. Howard, thanks for joining me on the show today. Well, great to be here. I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. And it's interesting when we were talking before, you talked about how we use technology in a way that has decreased performance. And I found that that's really insightful. I never would have come to that conclusion. So let's let's kind of dive right in. But when you talk about the sales innovation paradox, what does that mean exactly? Well, in every other field that I'm aware of, when we deploy technology, we get what we'd call efficiency gains, right? We get productivity gains. And so, for example, I used to work for the government a few years ago, many years ago, probably 30 years ago. And I was brought in on a project that was a business process project. And that process took 30 hours to take the audit data from a field audit and create a report. So I was brought in to figure out, is there a way to automate that process? And, and after a, about a six-month project, we took that, that 30 hours down to 10 minutes. Mm, wow. See, that's, I mean, right? That's what technology is supposed to do. It's supposed to create efficiencies so that we don't have to do the mundane. And so quite a few years ago, I started asking the question of, hey, why aren't we seeing this in sales? And then we had a couple of phenomena that occurred, and that is that we had what's called the tech stack explosion. So all these little technologies that people were creating, Nancy Narden maintained what's called the, the sales landscape, and Sales Hacker had the sales landscape with a thousand different applications that were supposed to increase the effectiveness of sales. And so I thought, wow, well, this is great. And I went to conferences and I heard all these presentations of people saying, well, if you deploy my technology, you're going to get a 3X or a 5X or a 10X in performance. And I thought, wow, that's great. That's There's the efficiency gain we're supposed to be experiencing. But then I saw something that was very odd to me, that during the same time we started getting these efficiency opportunities, the field started increasing the number of people using the same technology, specifically for outbound and top of funnel. Right technology right. strategies. So while, when we could increase the amount of touches we could make, for example, with email or with dialing or with some other different technologies around funnel development. So in some instances with like assisted dialing, you could generate 10 times the effort mm-hmm. you could without an assisted dialer. 
And yet at the same time, LinkedIn came out with a report in 2015 that said we had increased the number of people doing outbound by 600%. My goodness, that's a big number. It is a big number. Now, that's scary enough, isn't it? And then, and then in a couple of, I'm sorry, that was 2018. My apologies. 2018, they said in the previous three years, we'd had a 600% increase in the number of people doing that. And so I started going, well, that, that doesn't make any sense, does it? We just deployed a bunch of technology that 10X is, 5X is, 3X is. And if you scale it up, it actually can get up to 100X of the work that can be done. We can mechanize the work. And yet, why are we increasing the number of people doing the work by six times if we can do the work 10 times, 100 times faster? Well, right before we went into the pandemic, it got worse because we increased again so that over the five-year period, we actually increased the number of sales development people by 13x. Hmm. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. At the same time, we spent billions of dollars on training And we had the rise of what's called sales enablement, which is actually trying to hire a bunch of people to figure how to be more efficient and effective. Right. Hired a bunch of people on being more efficient and effective. We trained them and we tooled them up and we actually got worse. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's the study, right? Is to say, I don't understand this. I was sitting in a meeting with one of the Fortune 50 and a a VP of sales was had brought in uh, 13 different universities that they were working with and said, hey, we want to let you know what our plans are. And he laid out that they were going to scale from 60 people to 360 people over the next 18 months. And I listened to him and I said, so I have, I have a, a fundamental question. What made you determine you want needed six times the salespeople? He said, well, we looked at the coverage that our competitors have done, and we realized we were under by that number. And I said, what makes you think your competitors were correct? And he looked at me and and said, and I said, how about we have lunch and you continue with your presentation? (laughs) And we did. And unfortunately, so this is really sad. This particular individual is probably one of the better leaders I've ever worked with. And he did exactly what he was asked to do. So he scaled up to 100. In 18 months, he scaled up six times what he was asked to do. He created a huge infrastructure. He rolled that out. And within, I think it was one year to two years, he was fired. His boss was fired and his directors were fired. And they gutted 80% of the organization he had built. You know why it didn't work? So what happened? I mean, you would think that you scale it up, you're going to get better results. What do you think the issue was, Howard? Well, the issue is that What we don't often realize is that as we did all of this, just curious, do you think there were 13x the number of buyers? Right. Yeah, that's right. So just do the math, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And when we do the math, Scott, it's kind of crazy because you think I have 13 times the number of people reaching out to the white space, the, the customers. And they're enhanced by 10 to 100 times what they were before. So, you know, I only have a PhD, but not in math. So maybe you can help me with the math. So 13 <laughs> times 10 is 130 times yeah. 100 is 1,300 times. So we make this false assumption. The buyer's just sitting over there going, oh, this is so fun. <laughs> so we just love to get sales calls. Yeah, What's they the love to What's the buyer doing? What's the buyer doing? So the buyer's yeah, adjusting going. The buyer, yeah, that's right. The buyer is making all types of modifications in behavior. They're witnessing innovations. So this concept of sales best practices is a fascinating challenge, right? 
Because so, for example, you're in the field of um, of professional services and, and attorneys, right? And yep, right. so you go to training and somebody who is the current guru of, of attorney practices says, well, the current outbound best practice is blank. Well, how long before your key clients, you're, you're really the real verticals that you're going after, all the other attorneys are going after, how long before you start training your buyers that when you say the certain thing, you've actually identified yourself as the vulture yeah. that's coming after you. And so the protective mechanisms come up yeah. as we all deploy best practices. So that's just one of the cycles. I call it the SIB cycle, sales innovation, then behavioral shift. Sales. So it's called the SIB cycle, you said? SIB cycle, sales innovation, right? We have a sales innovation, a best practice that somebody discovered. So whenever we discover some best practice, we, of course, want to scale it. We scale that best practice, whether that's internally or externally. Somebody goes out and says, hey, I'm making great money. I'm going to go become a trainer and train all my peers on how to do this. And so everybody starts doing the same practice. And initially, by the way, it's, it's phenomenally successful because it's better than what we were doing before. However, when you think about the buyer, the buyer is sitting there and the first time this new innovative best practice hits them, they go, wow, that was... I, I didn't know that person was a salesperson. Wow, that was really a unique approach. The next person comes by and says, wow, that was, I think I saw that before. That was a unique approach. The third time they go, ah, they're a salesperson. The fourth time they go, I'm kind of annoyed by the salesperson. Really, you're not that, <laughs> come on, get a new script. And by the yeah. 10th time, the 50th time, and then a lot of, in the B2B world, what we talk about is cadences. So not only do we hit you, we hit you with 15 to 25. To, Gartner came out at one point last year, early this year, and said 66 touches is what it takes to get a meeting. Can you imagine <laughs> touching the customer 66 times, times hundreds of people using the best practice, and all of a sudden your buyers start saying, hey, you're wasting my life. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And so, I have more to do. And you're using a machine gun now to hit me with all this garbage. So I'm just going to disengage. And that's the behavioral shift, right? You have a sales innovation that's occurring on the seller side without really realizing that as more and more people do that same thing, the buyer adjusts yeah. and they shift their behavior as a defensive mechanism. And they don't find value in the outreach anymore. It's almost like you have to anticipate how the buyer is going to make adjustments and get ahead of that, right? Yes, you have to skate to where the puck is, not where, it, where, where it's going to be, not where it is. Yeah, right? exactly right. Exactly right. Let me ask that's, you this. It, that's it's challenging, by the way. Here's a horrible little truth, Scott. Do you know that that's really not very scalable? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we don't do it. That's why we don't do it. So that's why we have the paradox, right? Because that requires us to be relevant, personalized, analytical. We've got to actually catch the buyer in the moment that takes time, effort, and skill. Yeah. And, and when you do that, by the way, this is what's really crazy. While I witnessed all this, there was this small sliver of the market that was performing consistently at between eight and 10 times their peers. What was that? What was that? Which, well, which sliver of the market? Yeah, that's right. So what were they doing? Isn't that so you see, the most of the field is doing the same old scaling, nailing, and failing. 
But, you know, they get these moments of, wow, that worked, but then, boy, it didn't work as we ran it out. So, gee, let's just get a new trainer. Hey, let's go get a new you know sales development person. Hey, let's buy a new tool. They're trying to fix, but the fundamental challenge was they weren't really understanding the customer to begin with. It's these companies that went in and trained and said, yes, but if we spend more time on really doubling down on accurate information, make sure we have the right contact information, make sure our lead sources are good. Then we use technology to inform what we're about to say and do. Mm-hmm. By the way, this is it's not impossible to scale, but it does require actual training and thinking and business acumen and actually thinking about the client. The value of the deal needs to be big enough that you would care to do this. Right. But then, then you focus on that company, that individual, and use technology to give you some relevancy And then you use the technology to provide relevancy and value to the person in the outreach, understanding that, hey, I may have to touch you four or five times because I don't know, are you a texter? Are you an emailer? Are you a face-to-facer? Are you an only by referral person? Or are you an emailer? Are you a Twitter? Right? Who are you? Right. What's their communication preference? So I have to kind of probe you in different spaces, but I'm probing for communication preference. And then I'm trying to deliver a very relevant, valuable message that when you open up, you go, wow, that I got some value out of that. I yeah. want to spend more time with that person. So let me ask you this. Tell me of an organization, and you don't have to mention their name, but someone that you've observed, someone that you may have worked with where they did it right. They were able, in spite of everybody else, they were able to increase it eight to 10 times their competitors. So I think the story that's in the book, there's three examples that, I, that I've used. And then there are several others that I've identified since then. The first one, which is rather large, is Microsoft's. So Microsoft had a project that they started out in Dublin, Ireland a few years ago, pre-pandemic. And they said, well, you know, we've got this digital funnel and it's making a lot of great money. But what would happen if we human-assisted the digital funnel? I mean, you know, we're not going to straight human go out. We're going to human-assist the funnel. What would happen if, and then they A-B tested it. And what they found in the first phase of the rollout, they had an 8x at the top and a 10x at the bottom, which that means 8x in pipeline open, 10x in revenue at the bottom. And they said, well, I think I think it worked. Now, here's what's very interesting. So you'd say, wow, that's a phenomenal A-B test. And you would say, wow, I think it, most people would be pretty satisfied at that level of performance. So mm-hmm. move forward. I met the team. I actually went to Dublin and I interviewed them and realized that it was all legitimate. And the salespeople to the site lead were telling me kind of the magic of what they were doing, why, why they stayed relevant. That was the key piece. They were relevant to the customer at all times. The outreach wasn't just outreach for outreach. You could do that through digital means. Don't use humans to do things that you could do with your your drip campaigns. Mm-hmm. But then I was interviewing, I started interviewing the lady who was the kind of the, the brainchild or the person who was designing all of this. Don't get me wrong, she had a team. Her name was Jen Seeger and she'd now been promoted to another position in Redmond. And so when I had interviews with her, she would say, I started saying, so what is, if you had a double digit increase in a key performance indicator, a KPI in the last 30 days? And she would always say, yes. 
And she would tell me which one. And one of the times I had a conversation with her, she goes, you're really going to be excited about this one. We've been working on this for 18 months. And she said, we just achieved over 600% increase. And I said, what was your headcount differential? She said, six. And I said, 600%? She said, no, six. I said, what is your overall headcount? She said, 360. And I said, wait, you hit 600% increase in productivity with less than a 2% increase in the number of people doing the job. She said, yes, and we got more to come. So I brought her to UTD and I interviewed her for that. And that's actually on UTD's website, if anybody wants. We'll put that link on the show notes too. That's really interesting. So then, of course, all your friends who are listening to the podcast go, well, I'm not Microsoft, right? They're going to say that's, that's, that's too big. So there's a little company in Texas called Beck Technologies. Now, this is, we got to go back a little bit. This was when Beck Technologies was a little bit smaller and, and they had a whopping five salespeople. And so they had a leader by the name of Tyler Barron. And Tyler Barron, he was a technology guru and a sales enablement strategist. And he was just one of these bleeding edge thinkers in sales. And my students could go work for IBM. They could go work for HPE. They could go work for Adobe, Eli Lilly, Linux Corporation, AT&T, right? They go work for anybody. And when I had my interviews, they'd say, oh, I'm really hoping I get to go to Beck. Wow. Why is that? Why well, is that's, that? that's a great question, isn't it? I'm <laughs> baffling me. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. What's he doing over there? Well, the thing that, that Tyler was able to do that lots of organizations struggle to do is because his span of control was so small. He could move to market. He could skate to where the puck was. Yeah. And he was really good at it. So his team could identify innovation, come to Tyler and say, hey, Tyler, I was looking at this app and I think we should do it. And he'd say, well, tell me why. And they'd say, well, I think this is why. And I think it would increase efficiency. And he'd go, well, I think that's a great idea. Let's go buy it. Let's implement it across the team. And they would do it. And they would keep changing. And they would keep changing. And they would keep changing. And I had a meeting with them at one point. And they said, you know, we don't need more salespeople, but we're getting exhausted because we're growing in triple digits every quarter. So I'll repeat that. They were growing triple digits several quarters in a row. And they said, I don't know that this is sustainable for our management. And I said, yes, your your VP of sales, poor Tyler is dying. Yeah, right. Because he still has the administrative load of making sure everything's going through, but he has hundreds, several hundred times the work that he did six months ago. And they said, well, should we hire more salespeople? I said, well, do you have more customers? And they said, well, no, we don't. I said, well, you have more workload then, don't you? And they said, yes. And I said, well, why don't you hire a sales enablement slash technologist? Mm -hmm. And they went, well, we're kind of small. And I said, yes, but isn't that what you need is someone to help with the load of of, of some of the execution of the strategy. So they grabbed one of our students and they made her a sales enablement person. And she went and learned how to do enablement. She didn't do enablement in the classic Mm -hmm. setting. She did it in a modern setting. And they continued their growth cycle with only adding one or two people here and there. And so here's a small company. Shouldn't be able to do it, right? I'll give you the third example, which was fascinating. So I was in Vegas right before the pandemic shut down. Wow. I gave the presentation before the book. Uh, it was my last presentation. My wife said, I, I don't want you to go on the stage until you've written a book because I, I feel like it's time for you to <laughs> talk about it. 
And I promised her I would. So I went to Vegas and did three sales 3.0 conference. And I stood up and I was a keynote and I talked about the innovation paradox and I got, got off the stage. And late that night, I looked at my, my LinkedIn box and there's somebody from one of the MBA teams. And, uh, they said, I want to talk to you. I, I thought your, your presentation was extremely insightful. So I got on the phone with somebody. I won't say the name of the, uh, because I don't have permission to use their name. But so we got on the phone. He said, well, I just want to thank you for your presentation because it justifies the fact that I, I eliminated all activities in my organization. Mm. And I said, that's not what I said in my keynote. <laughs> I, I, in fact, I, without activities, you can't generate revenue. If, right, if yeah. Calls, you don't do emails. What was he, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? No, no, he, what he said was, was important because I thought it was a beautiful moment to think about efficiency and effectiveness and productivity. He said, we had been holding our organization accountable to activity-driven metrics. Mm-hmm. Right. You had to do a certain amount of activities every day, so many dials, so many emails, so many meetings, and those were our KPIs. And he said, so we eliminated them all. Wow. That's that's something I haven't heard of before. <laughs> well, now here's now now think about what he this is modern thinking. When you think about relevancy in an NBA franchise, nobody wants to have a meeting with you. They know what you're gonna do. What are you gonna have to you call you're you're from the NBA office of one of the NBA, you know, I'm, I'm in the Dallas Mavericks territory, right? Dallas Mavericks calls you up. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to sell me something. They're not going, Hey, do you want to go hang out with Mark Cuban? No, <laughs> it's, it's not. I didn't win a prize. It's a sales call. I know it's a sales call. Yeah, right. I, if it's an email, it's a sales call. It's either going to be sponsoring. It's going to be buying tickets. Yeah. Right. Right. They're wanting my money. So this guy, so what was your pitch? So yeah, this is where it gets interesting. He said, so what we did is we said, every sales person is allocated $1,500, no questions asked of product, period. No questions asked. And I said, okay, tell me more. And he said, so for example, so we got a guy, we got Scott. Scott shows up. What's your market, Scott? Who's, who's your team? I don't have a team. I'm a golfer. <laughs> but if I did, yeah, but, let's but, just say it's the Mavericks. Okay, so it's the Mavericks. So Scott's <laughs> the Mavericks. He's sitting in the upper bowl because he doesn't go because he's a golfer, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and so somebody comes to your seats and says, Scott, I noticed you're here with your son today. And I was wondering, would he like a jersey from one of the team? I'll go get yeah, one for him. Absolutely. By the way, can I get you a meal, Scott? Sure. Because you haven't had anything to eat. Let me get you something. Is that all right? Absolutely. I'll be right back. And by the way, what's your what's your son's favorite player out there? Uh, so you say the favorite player, right? Random, random player. <laughs> and and then you come back and they say, Well, here's the jersey and here's your meal. And uh, you know what? Let me know the next time you're coming, I'll take care of your parking. And walks away. Now, if they gave you the card, what would you do as reciprocity? Here's my card if you ever need anything. Happy to return the favor. Yes. So you say, and now if I had your data because you were in the database and I called you now, so now, (laughs) now, Scott, it's Thursday morning and I call you up and I say, hey, Scott, it's Howard from the Dallas Mavericks. Do you take my call? Absolutely. I have to. (laughs) Hey, Scott, how'd you enjoy the game? Now, could you imagine if you brought a client to the game next time? Yeah. That's how we're going to treat you when you show up. 
how about, you know, I, I have a couple of tickets for one of the upcoming games. Could you think of a client that may maybe you could entertain? I have some very specific packages where you could entertain a client before the game or even during halftime because I'd like you to be able to be successful in your practice as an attorney recruiter because I'm sure, in fact, maybe maybe I could even help you understand some attorneys who actually come. Could I connect you with some of the attorneys that come and maybe you could, right? And so all of a sudden, I'm. what am I doing? Am I, am I annoying you? No, we're, we're building rapport. Now you've got my attention and now the door is I, open. I'm relevant, aren't I? Yeah, exactly now, right. What if, what if I'm sitting down, you know, I'm sitting in a nosebleed, but I've identified you as a target audience. I know that you're the president of one of the companies in the area. And I come to you and say, hey, president so-and-so, I saw you got seats. I'm glad to have you here. Did you know we have a press box available? I'd love to invite you and your guests to go join mm-hmm. us at the press box, one of the suites, because one of them's open tonight. Nice. I'd like you to have that treatment. Sure. Yeah. And by the way, you know, we, we have some special things. Can I also get you a jersey? You know, so right. there's there's no technology in what you're talking about, Howard. No. Well, hold on, though. What do they have to do before they get to that seat? Yeah, they've got to communicate with them. They've got to they reach out to, to them. They got to, they got to know they're using technology to gather intelligence on who's in that seat. What is their current status? How often do they come to games? What is their business interest? What's their family interest? What's the, so I'm going to come to you and I'm going to gift you something, but I'm going to gift you something that's relevant to who you are and why you're there. That's interesting. I'm going to be relevant to you using technology. So now here's the result. You ready for it? They generate more revenue per seat than any other team in the NBA and one of, they're one of the most losing franchises in the NBA. No kidding. Wow. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And other NBA teams fly in from all over the country to learn how to generate that kind of revenue. Well, Howard, this is really interesting to me. You've definitely whet my appetite to wanting to learn more about this paradox. Uh, so tell us if we could kind of bring things to a close. What are three action steps I could take and our listeners could take to really learn more about this and really implement some of these ideas that you're talking about? I think the first thing is that there is a lot of technology that enhances the ability of people to do sales specifically to get them relevant before contact. So checking out those technologies in, in disclosure, I'm on the, I'm on the board of XIQ, but XIQ is a great example of the technology. That's why I asked. Okay. Good, it allows you the personality profile. It gives you dossiers, companies and industries use the technology to enhance your ability to be relevant. Number two, focus on being relevant, not finding best practices. Be relevant in the discussion. Think about the buyer that ties to the technology. Use the technology to understand the buyer. Then focus on relevancy to the buyer, not to what you're trying to sell. That's, and, that's key. That's key. That's, that's very insightful. And then number three, if you do that, then it's time to ramp up. Once you start getting those success ratios, the last time, so we we did an experiment like this in my class. This last semester, we played with some technology that allowed us to be more relevant in our outreach. It's a tool from Lavender. It's called Lavender. And so what Lavender does is it takes all the emails going out by everybody who's using it and learns what, what people are responding to and then gives you that feedback. And so 
we sandboxed it. So this last semester, we we were given access. We played with it, and and we did A/B testing. So we we had the previous year's results, and so previous years we were averaging nineteen percent response rate. This new semester, without lots of controls, remember we're sandboxing. This wasn't a tight control. We had a twenty-two percent response rate, but that wasn't what was interesting. If you look at the upper bounds, so the kids that actually executed right with relevancy. Previous semester, high point was 40%. This semester, 67%. Wow. Now, you tell me, once again, we, we just talked about, you know, by the way, email is highly ineffective. If it, the average the average response rate, if you really look at it, I hate that, that number, but it's supposed to be, it's sub 1%. Right. When you look at all outbound email, to get a 67% response rate, that's a team that harnessed technology before mm-hmm. the outreach. Because at 67%, you didn't just use lavender. You went out and figured out what mattered. Who am I talking to? If I send an email to Scott about his practice and what he did, and I acted like I actually knew what you did, Scott, yeah. and I knew your personality. So I knew whether I needed to give you a lot of data or just be really quick. Then I used Lavender to coach me on how to make sure the words and everything was good. Mm. I was relevant. I had a 50-50 chance. In this case, better than a 50-50 chance, they would respond to that email. So, I mean, these are kind of interesting things, right? We're always testing the UTD. Well, I'll take those those odds every day, Howard. And so... So tell me this, we're going to put your bio link on the show notes. We're going to put some of the other resources that you mentioned on there just to make it easy for people to go there. But what is it that you'd like for our audience to know about you? We'll put your link to the book on there as well. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about what you do and your availability to help people who are listening here? Sure. Well, the first thing is that uh, if you want to see what we're doing at the university, just follow hashtag UTD sales. If you want to follow me on LinkedIn, please feel free to do so. And uh, my time is limited. I do some projects with companies and um, lots of friends who coach this stuff. So I don't necessarily always, I'm not in the coaching business, but I have friends that are kind of a high level, look at the high level for those with larger practices. If you want to come in and take a look at your overall outbound strategy, that's something I'll look at. And so just trying to figure out how to get the field better because we waste a lot of time but more importantly, I hate the fact that we destroy people's dreams yeah. when, we, when we do it wrong. Absolutely right. And it's so important. The sales, revenue drivers, all of that, really, that's the engine that drives the train for so many organizations. Yet, I don't see people really looking at it the way you do. So props to you. Thanks for being a guest on the show. Great job. Thanks for sharing information. I learned several things that I'm going to implement And so I hope all of our listeners do as well. Thank you, Howard. I'd love to have you back on the show. You did a great job today. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.